Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by Ed P, Ed M, and myself, Steve. We believe Mike is taking a much-needed hiatus just for the week. So, welcome. Hey, everybody. Hello. I have the easiest job. I could just say, hi, Ed, so I don't even have to go through lists of names. So exactly, it would seem. Didn't like, realize that a list of names was so taxing. Ed, do, do you know how old I'm turning next week? Uh oh. <laughs> Let's just say there's a correlation with Medicare. So and leave it at that. Ooh, that bad. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so give me a little slack. Um, it looks like You're right. We Eds aren't that far behind you. I know, I know, but at my age, I'm starting to take anything I can get. I remember when I was young, years ago, I was much younger. Ed, you're the physicist. You can figure that out, right? Apparently, that has the way time works, yes. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, apparently, the big story of the week, at least for starters, is the, uh, I think we're up to 3,986 indictments for Trump. Um, this one being the Georgia indictment, which I think is like 41 counts or something. And no, uh, it's a lot. It's more than yeah, it's 41. Uh, let me look. I have it up here. Uh, no, it's a lot. A, a lot of people are saying that the major importance of this one, besides all the 13, 13 counts against Trump himself. OK, is it? Well, 13 is a good number for Jews. An unlucky number, I believe, for those not of the Jewish faith, Trump being an mm. anti-Semite, that means it's a bad number, but Trump having Jewish grandchildren means it's a good number, so I guess it's a wash. Uh, have you watched The Princess Bride lately? That seems to be a very Princess Bride-like uh, attempt. No, there are 41 uh, counts listed in the indictment, but Trump is only charged with 13 of them, and then other people in this long list of um, this long list of of people are um, charged with you know a lot of them. Now I have to say that the most um, the most serious charge, and I want this to be absolutely clear, the most serious charge. I'm reading it right now: violation of the Georgia RICO Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, or um, and, and it, he is 100% guilty of that because he was uh, president of the United States at the time. And if there's ever a bigger racketeer-influenced and corrupt organization than the federal government, I have never in my life uh, encountered such. So I, I think he's basically guilty just for being president. Okay, we got your jury vote. Um, I want to say that what they're talking about a lot is its significance is that it's not presidentially pardonable as a state crime. Although I did hear that Dershowitz is out there saying that may not be true. Ed M, I don't know if you've thought about that part of the issue before, but if you want to comment on, on the uh, indictment at the moment. The indictment or the pardon issue? Both. I mean, the pardon issue, it seems straightforward to me that the pardon power in the Constitution is to pardon for offenses against the United States. And an offense against the state of Georgia is not an offense against the United States, number one. And number two, well, I guess, you know, saying it in a different way, the, the president doesn't have pardon power over state crimes. I mean, that's a state issue any more than the president can veto a state act, a state law 
that the Georgia legislature were to pass. It's just, it's beyond his power. Um, as far as the indictment itself, I mean, I think, I think we need to, to, to look at it from a higher perspective. What, what, what's really, what, what the indictment really says is that when Democrats challenge an election, it's free speech. When Republicans challenge an election, it's a crime. That's, that's the indictment. Mm -hmm. And somebody was playing clips, and there's so many of them out there, of Democrats doing this exact same thing, if not worse, in every way. And yes, the message, like you've always said, hierarchy, not hypocrisy. This is in your face. We're going to indict and try to convict you for doing some or all of what we did. And it is very in your face. Um, so the, the, you know, the, um, the basic idea, I think, was that um, Trump saw that the, the vote count in Georgia was, was very close. He saw also some of the shenanigans that went on in Atlanta. And he and his crew um, decided to figure out a way to um, justify a recount and try to, quote unquote, find uh, more votes or to disqualify uh, some of the votes um, from the opposition. And he, con he contacted his attorneys who contacted other people and they were all getting together to try and get some. And then uh, attorneys contacted uh, an alternate slate of electors to have them in their hand in case any of the legal maneuvering that Trump did or the recount showed that Trump won, the alternate slate of electors would be uh, sent to Washington. And they uh, the district attorney in Atlanta who brought this case, who, by the way, could barely the teleprompter when she was talking about it. I have no idea what she was, you know, how, how she had no idea how to read her own allegedly owned case. But um, I think they were saying that all of that is a conspiracy to commit fraud. It's a conspiracy to, you know, essentially try to steal the election. And uh, a lot of the the evidence in the case that was touted as overt acts, right? Because you can talk about anything you want. You can talk about crimes, you can be, but you have to commit an overt act um, to make it into conspiracy. And some of the overt acts were were tweets, like one of the tweets. He said, watch OANN now. You know, they have interesting stuff about the election. And another tweet was, um, uh, was you know, call your congressman or something like that. And these were all overt acts in advance of the conspiracy. So. The question is then, um, are are these tweets or are you know uh, one of the um, one of the overt acts was a text message asking uh, for the number for uh, congressmen's phone numbers or something something like that so they can they can talk to. Them. I I think I, you are the expert Ed in these legal dramas, but. While I understand the basic of the law, the basis of the law of conspiracy is that you you can talk about a crime all you want, but you have to actually commit an overt act. Is is tweeting or sending a text message asking for a phone number or any of the other long list of overt acts that they list in this uh, indictment actually an overt act, or is it really just normal human life? Number one, all the acts that you just described are speech and talking, they're not overt acts. And number two, there was no criminal underlying criminal act 
he has a right to contest the election. He has a right to organize people that agree with him to contest the election. There was no overt act, there was no conspiracy, and there was no underlying crime. It's all bogus. And part of the game that they play is for us to debate them on it and grant them the legitimacy of, of debating whether it's a meritorious claim or not, which, which gives it legs that it doesn't otherwise have. It is an utterly ridiculous exercise on their part. And as I said at the outset, it's the purpose is to show that when Democrats challenge an election, it's free speech. When Republicans challenge an election, it's a criminal act. That's that's the message here. Yeah, I, the, he's he did this alternate slate of lecture things in a number of of states. And apparently this is something that has been done all the time all in the time. American history. Um, yep. And in well, fact, believe, uh, most recently, 16. I think it was done in 16 and in 04. Yeah. And, and in 1960, actually, um, Richard Nixon apparently approved the alternate slate of electors as vice president from Hawaii, um, having already conceded the election. And so therefore, was not he was not willing to fight it. He, he approved the, the alternate slate of electors um, from Hawaii, thinking that the, uh, that the original slate of electors that was sent in uh, was tainted in some way. So it's not something that I think people are so familiar with unless you're a historical junkie or a political junkie like the three of us and some of our friends. But it, it's well within the norm of American uh, politics to try to construct an alternate slate of electors and, and get them sent in by a legislator or the legislature or something to uh, the Senate and then have the president of the Senate, the vice president decide. And in fact, what Richard, what I've read about what Richard Nixon did in 1960 was that he had the power to decide. Now, this is interesting well, because Mike Pence I decided was he didn't have the power. To correct. I, I was waiting for you to give me a break to jump in. That's exactly the, the whole point here. Mike Pence, this is an this is Mike Pence. I mean, Pence said he didn't have the power and, and, and that it was merely a ministerial act to certify what the state legislatures and the secretaries of state had already done. And I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe that's what the framers intended. I don't think there's anything in the Constitution that is meant to be ministerial. The whole purpose of the Constitution was to authorize action, limited action, but still action. There's nothing ministerial in in the constitution so if the if the president of the senate gets to certify the the results of the election that is a that that requires him to exercise judgment it's not a ministerial act because if it were then they just wouldn't have done it they didn't do things just to waste people's time and to engage in formalities during the at the constitutional convention there does seem to be a lot of checks and balances um the election <clears throat> the election for president is is very convoluted, right? And you know the electors are supposed to meet in the state capitals. This is all done before mass communications. They're supposed to cast their ballots, then have them certified by the legislature and sent to Washington. Or, you know, you can read the Constitution, find out all the details, and then it, they're supposed to be counted on a certain day. And I, it it seems like this process is not designed to be bureaucratic, but to 
um, not to put uh, it, it's it, bureaucratic in the sense of putting obstacles in the way simply for the sake of putting obstacles in the way that you just have to get over this hoop and this hoop and this hoop. It's to add a sort of check and balance at every step of the process so that if something goes wrong, there is always this recourse to the elected branches of government to decide. Um, do, does that seem right to you? Yeah, I mean, the, the term that they used was filter. And yes, I think it was another filter to protect the public and protect the, the republic from bad actors and from mistakes. Okay, so since Ed M is in a yes mood, let's try this one on. This is my thought. Is it reasonable to suggest that the last thing the founders wanted to do was ceremonial because they were, after all, rejecting a monarchy where everything was ceremonial and pomp, and they would not have put it in the Constitution just for ceremony's sake, which is sort of what Penn said this is. This is just an official cutting of the ribbon kind of a thing. That's exactly what I was thinking and what I was trying to say. You said it better than I did. I, there's not, they didn't even ceremonial stuff that they believed in, in action and doing things. And I, I just, I can't say it better than you did. Yes. Wow. Thank you. All ceremonial, this whole notion that it's ceremonial and ministerial would, would make it more like a, like a monarchy and, and a royalty situation. And that's clearly not what they were trying to set up. Mm-hmm. So now you're saying Nixon, what did Nixon do in 60? He What exactly did he say he had the power to do? There were disputed slates of electors. And I think it was more than From just Hawaii. Hawaii. I think it was, it wasn't, uh, weren't there a couple of states that sent multiple electors? That, yes, that's right. But the, uh, but um, Hawaii was the only one, uh, apparently, where, again, my memory is not perfect, but apparently Hawaii is the only one where he accepted the alternate slate. Um, right. The way it works the on election day, Stephen, the way it works on election day is for Joe Biden or or Donald Trump or whoever, you vote for Joe Biden's electors and uh, or Donald Trump's electors. And then those electors, then whoever wins the state, those electors go to to the electoral college to place the vote to, to vote for president. And in order to. Uh, be able to go and to the electoral college state has a process, usually sort of a certification process by the secretary of state that says you're the official slate of electors. However, the legislature has ultimate power to reject what the secretary of state does. And the legislature can send an alternate slate of electors. And that has happened in during our history. And that's what Ed is alluding to that, there were separate slates of electors that uh, that were competing slates of electors, and it was up to the Senate, uh, up to the Congress to determine which slate they were going to recognize for purposes of voting in the Electoral College. Now, did y'all see or catch wind? There's a uh, video out there floating around from the last election from 2016 with a whole bunch of Hollywood celebrities begging electors to do the right thing, quote unquote, and not give us a horrible president. You guys familiar with that? I'm not familiar with the video, but I am familiar with with that having happened. Yeah, because a lot of people are playing it on their on their shows and stuff. And it's just one after the other. Do the right thing. Don't do what you were bound to do. Blah, 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 blah. And exactly the way you started the show, it's free speech as long as it's a Democrat doing it. 
So I guess my there is an interesting. Is, give me one second. What if I sure. do it, but when I get to court and I'm indicted, I identify as a Democrat? <laughs> well, Trump was a Democrat for many years. Yes, there you go. Um, <clears throat> let me let me go to the first count in the indictment. I'm going to read this, and and we're going to talk about it. Members of this enterprise, including several defendants, including Trump, appeared at hearings in Fulton County, Georgia, before members of the Georgia General Assembly on December 3rd, December 10th, and December 30th, 2020. At these hearings, members of the enterprise made false statements concerning fraud in the November 3rd, 2020 presidential election. The purpose of these false statements was to persuade the Georgia legislators to reject lawful electoral votes cast by the duly elected and qualified presidential electors from Georgia. Members of the enterprise corruptly solicited Georgia legislatures and legislators instead to unlawfully appoint their own presidential electors for the purpose of casting electoral votes for Donald Trump. Members of the enterprise also made false statements to state legislators during hearings and in meetings in Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania in November and December 2020 to persuade legislators in those states to unlawfully appoint their own presidential electors. So the, the two things, you know, they don't say they made these statement, these uh, false statements concerning fraud under oath, which you would think would be part of the indictment because that would be perjury. They made false statements under oath. That would be a, a perfectly reasonable thing to be upset about if they perjured themselves. But that's not what this indictment says. It just says they made false statements concerning fraud. They also say that the election, they, it, it assumes that uh, it, the, the document assumes that there was no fraud in the election, that it was a you know, perfectly fine election, there was no fraud, or there certainly wasn't any fraud that um, would have changed, that could have or would have changed the outcome of the, elect, the election. So it's kind of begging the question, right? They're, they're accusing Trump of saying there's fraud, saying that's a false statement, but they're assuming that there wasn't any fraud um, as, as, a, as a fundamental assumption at the beginning of the document. Um, they just said you know, Trump lost the state of Georgia, and that's just uh, asserted. Um, and I, I guess that's sort of true in the sense that uh, electors eventually voted for the state of Georgia. But at the time he was making these statements, it was not clear that he lost the state of Georgia. Um, so it's it's a weird it's a weird kind of thing. Like I can't go in front of the legislator and say, "Hey, there was fraud in this election. Could you do something about it?" That you know, again, is it like the federal case where there where it concerns the mindset of the president at the time? Like when he said, "Go down to the." Capitol and let your voices heard and protesting peacefully. Did he really mean go down to the Capitol and and, and you know and riot and trash it? You know what was his thinking at the time? Did did they? It, is it based on that? And, and thus, this is a a perjury charge, or is it just? No, it's not a perjury charge. They're saying that they were trying. I mean, like I said, they, there is no crime here, but the crime that they're saying is steal the election. But there's no. That's not a criminal that I mean stealing an yeah, election. Because the second the act. second count, the second count, false statements to and solicitation of high-ranking state officials. It's basically, you know, the lawyers and people complained to uh Georgia's Georgia state officials. 
Well, you, you know what the well, that's certainly not under oath. I mean, I don't see how you can't complain to state officials. I, I, I really don't understand how complaining to state officials about what you think is a um, you know, fraudulent election, whether it's true or not, whether it's fraudulent or not, I don't see how that can be a crime. Well, I think the way to illustrate this best would be to look at all of the false statements that Biden has made. For instance, uh, I don't have the power to issue a mask mandate. I don't have the power to forgive student loan debt, things like that. And then find some uh, li- some congressman from a conservative republic from a red state who happened to support him or vote with him or or may, I guess not vote, but just said something that that supported Biden on it and frame a conspiracy and a RICO complaint based on those false statements and file that in in Salt Lake City or, you know, in in Utah or in, you know, or in Oklahoma or someplace where there may be, you know, one out of, you know, one member of the delegation vote, you know, is is with is a Democrat and is with Biden and create the same exact kind of bogus complaint and make the Democrats have to squirm and explain why theirs is different. Yeah, right, but that's, obviously that's they would never be made to, to squirm, obviously, like you said before. It's well, a, it's you know like, what, if you filed enough of these complaints and made them have to pay enough lawyers, they'd eventually start screaming, yes. Um, you know, and, looking back at when the, the protests outside the Supreme Court justices' homes, and it, seemingly if there was ever a clear violation of a federal law, that was it. And yet in Congress, they keep asking, um, what's his face? Was it Mallorca? Garland. They keep asking Garland, why have there been no arrests? This is a clear violation in front of the entire world. And it's blah, 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 blah. But never but, made yeah. to squirm. How about, how, about, how about indicting Chuck Schumer and, and anybody who, who agreed with him? You know, fu- you know, there are plenty of conservative district attorneys in the state of New York that could go after him. File, file, file a criminal indictment against them. There is interest, you know, again, uh, part three of the RICO is creation and distribution of false electoral college documents, you know, members of the enterprise. To call Trump's post-election collection of people and enterprises to give them way more credit than they deserve is a clown card. But Members of the enterprise, including several of the defendants, created false electoral college documents and recruited individuals to convene and cast false electoral college votes at the Georgia State Capitol, et cetera, et cetera, transmitted the votes to the president of the Senate. Again, that's been done so many times to creating these alternate slates of electors all throughout American history. I, I, I don't understand this. So I'm saying this because I want to ask a legal question to Ed. Um, how, how does this? get past a judge how does this um how does this get past a judge to say well you know that isn't a crime that isn't a crime that isn't a crime is you know what's the process to go through i mean is there you know motion for summary judgment or or something like that 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 you can go through to to see uh, you know get some sort of legal review on this Right. What's the I mean, structure at which you could trash this? Yeah, the, the attorney, well, you know, the attorney general seemed like she wasn't even literate, much less a lawyer. So I'm just confused. Let me let me start by by addressing the very first thing you said, which was that this has been done throughout our history. 
you know, the setting up the different sites of electors, challenging elections. And my response to that is there is nothing in our history that the left isn't willing to destroy and overturn. So the fact that we've been doing it forever is just more of a reason for the Democrats to say we need to soil, crap on it, spit on it, do whatever we can to, de to destroy it. Um, as far as your question, I'm not a criminal defense lawyer, so I don't know that well, but I am certain that there's a point in the process where the defendant can move to dismiss the indictment. I don't know where it is. I assume it would be an, or it could be done early, um, but it has to be a it has to fit as long as the complaint states a claim, the fact that it's a losing claim is probably not going to get it dismissed. I mean, that's the thing in the law. Everybody gets their day in court. And when, when, when you're at a motion to dismiss level, at least on a civil case, you can't go and say that there's no way that the other side can prove their case. I mean, like I could say that, I don't know, some ridiculous claim, like I could say that, you know, you committed adultery against me and you might turn around and say, well, we're not even married. Okay. But that's not the complaint that unless the complaint says we were married, then, I mean, I guess then, but no, because on, on a, on a motion to dismiss, everything in the complaint is assumed to be true for purposes of the motion to dismiss. Mm, and okay. the only thing that they're now analyzing that the judge analyzes is if everything that the complaint says is proven to be true, would could could the person filing the complaint win? Not must they win, but could they win? And if the answer mm -hmm. is yes, and the motion to dismiss is denied, no matter how implausible the claim is. Wow. Ed, you just dropped a bomb on at least me as a layperson. The motion okay. to dismiss does assumes facts are true. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, that's the standard. If you look in civil procedure rule 12B6, well, that's just failure to state a claim. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the that is the standard of wow. review. Very interesting. So you assume the, the judge has to assume that everything that the person who filed the complaint says is true and not will they win, right? Could they win? Could a reasonable jury come come? with a verdict for the plaintiff or for the prosecution. If it were all true. Very interesting. All true. That's that's wow. the standard. Okay. I, I guess the, the balance to all this is that they're applying the exact same standards to Hunter Biden, at least. Of course. Well, I mean, you know, I, I look, the Hunter Biden thing is, is, you know, it's, it's well past it's, it's, uh, um, sell by date really i mean they're they're not going to do anything with hunter biden they came up with one way of not doing anything with them and now they're kind of gone back to try and figure out the second way they're not going to do anything with them. Uh, i think a more interesting thing was uh that an individual in goodness where was that anyway an individual in a flyover country um was just uh released from uh, his, you know, criminal conviction for having uh, you know, having pot in his car and carrying a firearm, um, which you know is a federal crime. The judge was didn't overturn the Gun Control Act of 1968, uh, but he said, I think he kind of treated this gentleman like 
courts should treat people. He said, uh, yeah, no, he's he wasn't high at the time. And you can't then, according to Bruin, you can't just remove people's rights. And they vacated the um, they vacated the conviction. I think that's kind of what good it it's, and it was it was huge in the Second Amendment community, of course. And this this goes to the you know the obvious the it's five years federal felony for Hunter to have uh, filled out the forty four seventy three wrong thing. He was not a user of addictive drugs while purchasing a firearm, and then having a firearm with him um, as you know while he was on drugs is another five years. So it's ten years in the federal pen. Um, but. Uh, but this judge is attacking the fundamental basis of that law. And I think I it's about time. Attacking if you're a current user versus an ex-user. That's what I thought that judge was doing. And it wouldn't apply to Hunter because he was a current user. Now, I'd, well, they found like, they found pot, what do they call them? Blunt butts in the car or something like that. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was something like that. Um, so it's you know it is interesting that um, I think that uh, Hunter Biden getting off the gun charge might, in general, be positive for the country. Okay, so, um, so what's interesting is you have administrations, you have Democrats who constantly yelling gun crime, gun crime, gun crime. To paraphrase Ed, when a Democrat commits a gun crime, it's nothing. When a Republican commits a gun crime, it's the worst crime in the history of the world. So the Democrats yelling how strict we should be with the gun crimes are trying to, you know, wipe away Hunter Biden's thing. If they latch on to that judge's ruling, they're almost supporting the Second Amendment, which they never want to be caught dead doing. So the whole thing is hysterical. They want it both ways, which, again, doesn't matter. The thing I want to return to just one second to not miss is that people are saying the special counsel law says specifically black on white, clearly the man has to be from outside the government. The man is clearly not from outside the government and nobody cares. Now, my understanding would be that anything the special counsel would do would then be challengeable at a further date because the whole thing is illegal. Is that not true simply, Ed M? I'm not sure that that it, that the defendant would get to challenge it later. I mean, maybe he gets to challenge it during the prosecution, but I don't think he would get to challenge it post conviction if they got a conviction against him. Why not? The whole thing is illegal. It would be like making me special counsel. Well, well I don't think they're like, going to care. Well, that's my point. They don't care. Oh, the, but the point it's it's sort of like the it's sort of like the 2020 election. You have to challenge things before the fact. If you wait until after the fact to raise an issue, it becomes almost impossible to, I mean, if, if Hunter Biden goes through the process, you know, if, if this David Weiss character pulls up and actually indicts him, which, I mean, I can't imagine that he will, or if he does, it'll be a sham complaint or a sham indictment. But assuming that he went forward, indicted him, prosecuted him and got a conviction, if Hunter Biden at the end of that process and got a conviction said, well, wait a minute, the whole process is tainted. It, it needs to be overturned. And that's my basis for appeal. The appellate court's going to say you waived your right to do that by not raising it at an earlier time. You can't raise it first thing on appeal. He's got to raise it, it. Yeah. It does say it does seem that 
um, since Weiss was already uh, prosecuting anyway, Weissman and um, no, Weiss, it's was, Weiss, isn't it? I think it's David Weiss. Weiss, Weiss, Weiss okay. the other dude. <laughs> oh, was the other dude? Okay, since yeah, Weiss was prosecuting fire hurricane dude, yeah, right. Um, and uh, he's still prosecuting him, and it was a corrupt. Obviously, it was a corrupt deal before uh, that the judge rejected. Then I I think that. Uh, you know, it, it was just a ploy to get everybody wants to ask Hunter Biden under oath who the big guy was. And did he get the 10 percent that that Hunter said he was in all of these dealings? They don't care about the gun charge. They don't care about the smoking crack so much. They care about the 10 percent for the big guy. And they want to ask him that question under oath. And I think this is this entire scheme is attempt to try to prevent the the House of Representatives, rather, from calling Hunter as a witness and asking him about the big guy. Okay. If so that's I- the, if that's, let, let me just say something, Steve, and then I'll let you go. If that's the plan, Ed, then the Republicans in the House should be all for either a pardon or for a plea deal or something that eliminates criminal liability, because as long as there's potential criminal liability, He's going to be able to plead the fifth if he gets if he gets in if he I mean, they could offer immunity, which would be the same thing. That's not what they want. They want to prosecute. So I don't see the I don't see the game that you're talking about. I mean, if anything, it almost sounds like the Republicans want to protect him as much as the Democrats do. Well, um, I, I think this for Congress giving immunity. What do you mean? What's the basis? They're not, the, they're not the judicial system. What is the legal basis for them granting immunity from a crime? I don't know if they can give immunity for state crimes, but for federal crimes, I think it's inherent in the legislative power that they have the right, they, they have the power to call people to testify before Congress for them to legislate on legitimate issues. And if in order to legislate, they need to be able to bring people in, they have subpoena power. Yeah, I, you know, I I'm actually curious, and maybe I'll ask a law student. How does how does the legislature cross into the judiciary and give immunity? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Well, I mean the the judiciary doesn't give immunity in a criminal trial. It's the prosecution that offers immunity. Isn't the prosecution? They're part of the executive branch. Okay, but they're definitely not the legislative branch. How how does that? And by what power in the Constitution can they say to somebody, we don't care if you committed a crime? How did they get that power? Um, uh, let me look. I'm just curious. I, I, it's got to be in Article 1, Section 8. It's got to be dealing with the, the power to, to subpoena witnesses before Congress. It's just interesting. Now, I think, you know, a lot of this thing with Weiss there's going to be standing issues because I want to sue and say he's illegal and the judge is going to say I have no standing, which is why I want to talk about the Montana case where a state court is guaranteeing standing to a five-year-old to sue because the environment is being ruined. Well, that's because the Montana constitution has stupidity into it. I, you know, what What can you say? The judge might be right in that case if the if the if the Montana Constitution really really does say what it said it said in this this article, which is dumb, 
because nobody can guarantee, no state can guarantee a, a healthy environment for everybody. That's ridiculous. So um, you're saying the Constitution gives standing to anybody in the state? That is what it appears to me in the um, in the, the the state constitution gives people uh, uh, anybody in the state uh, standing to sue on the basis of a clean environment, and uh, you know they're um, they got these you know some pressure group assembled these uh, plaintiffs to be sympathetic and uh, sued in a friendly jurisdiction and the judge agreed. I mean, that's kind of what it is. And it just means Montana's frame, constitutional framers are idiots. I, I don't know what to say. And I'm curious. I mean, you could put, you, you could put this. I mean, if, you know, if taken seriously, you, you could put every, um, you know, internal combustion engine and coal plant and and uh, oil plant and nuclear plant and everything, you know, wind power, you can put everything out of business. You could say, okay, no power at all because all power is polluting and therefore um, it, it harms the environment. You could, you could basically say, okay, we're going to and I gotta tell no you, burning a, of wood or anything, and everybody died. That's the plan. The environment will be great. Everybody's guaranteed. I know that's a plan. I have to tell you, as a psychotherapist, the whole thing is hysterical because this poor child's mental health was destroyed by climate change, and obviously it wasn't destroyed by climate change. It was destroyed by people telling him all kinds of garbage about climate change, and the whole point yeah. of cognitive behavioral therapy is to learn how not to let external stimuli change your moods and the, the whole thing is absolutely absurd to say your mood is directly affected your mental health is directly affected by climate change when you're five years old and you can't even spell climate i don't know what to say i you know again when we were kids all three of us um there were twenty-two thousand nuclear weapons on hair triggers pointed at us and um you know, our mental health was not affected. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know people were like concerned, we, you know, nuclear war and there was left people concerned. Uh, we should, do, do, you know, negotiate with the Soviets and the right people were concerned and they were like, we should build SDI. But there was nobody like, there was no child that was uh, incapable of learning or, you know, uh, psychologically damaged be, at age five because there were 22,000 nuclear weapons on hair trigger pointed at their head. And yet now these children aren't just panicked because especially in Montana, you know, a hundred years from now, they'll have better weather. So I, I it, it is, it, it's entirely manufactured and I don't know um, how you go about fighting it really i just think it's really expanding standing again maybe it's you know unique to montana or whatever but i think standing is whatever a judge says standing is that's my point in in many respects yeah you know it usually it, it, it can be overturned by the appeals court depending of course again you know, even mm -hmm. i just wanted to interject I, I was while you guys were talking i did a quick look Look and I and I, rem I, rem I remember where the subpoena power is implied in the Constitution, and it's the speech and debate clause, Article One, Section mm. Six, where uh, if, if if for purposes of I mean I don't have the quote in front of me right now, but 
the members of Congress shall not be questioned in any other place regarding speech and debate on the floor of the House or Senate. And you know, if they offer immunity, the, judici the judiciary and the executive, no one can challenge what the what the legislature did. That's that's a power that's implied and maybe not even implied, but it's- I don't it's, understand. That's a power for them to subpoena people or, or for them to talk, but where does it give them the power to waive crimes? That's what I'm missing. They they get to they get to engage in speech and debate in the in the House, in the Congress, and they get to subpoena witnesses to just to testify so that they can make laws. Right, and the witness has a right to plead the Fifth Amendment, but that doesn't say where they get the the right to let somebody off a crime. It just says. Well, I mean, obviously, there's shall some not law. be questioned. What? Shall not well, be... I, you know, no, they shall not be questioned for anything passed. they say. But how does that mean that that affects the criminal? So you could have a mass murder who killed 100,000 people. Congress says we want to talk to him. We're giving him immunity. What gives them that right to do that? The fact well, that has to be a valid legislative purpose. They can't just grant immunity willy nilly. Well, we that, know that a valid legislative that, purpose is also whatever they say it is. I mean, obviously. So it's just I'm just curious how one I, I don't know the answer, but I, the Constitution is not self-executing like that. I'm sure there's a law that the Congress has passed, and the president has signed that allows the Congress to grant immunity in certain cases. I don't know what it is that that's kind of the way things are. I know that, you know, generally speaking, you know, all of this stuff is encoded. When the you know the founders, uh, there is such a thing as federal criminal law because the founders wrote seven or eight different crimes into the Constitution, you know, piracy trees and that sort of thing. Um, but of course, they did not imagine that we okay, would have so, you know, I'm gonna ask fifty thousand pages of of. Let me, crime. let me ask it this way, Ed. There's so much talk over the airwaves about quote prosecutorial discretion, and they're ripping Garland and Mayorkas to shreds because they're saying prosecutorial discretion allows us to ignore the laws and the legislature saying, no, we're telling you these are the laws and your job is to enforce them. Well, if we're yelling at prosecutors for discretion, why are they any less, why are they any different than Congress? Congress is overriding its own law. I'm just wondering, I'm not gonna make a big deal but I'll find somebody who- Well, if, uh, if I murder a bunch of people here in Virginia, obviously that's a state crime. The Congress can't give me immunity for that state crime. It can only give me immunity for federal crimes. And in particular, this particular crime would be the, you know, essentially bribery or being a foreign agent, you know, an agent of well, foreign power for far- they wouldn't like give that. Biden immunity for all of his other crimes, you know, the drug charges and stuff, which are all state. Well, the drug charges are all federal, right? Drugs- you know, um, I mean, the states may have parallel. Um, right. So he, he can't give immunity for a state charge. So why he's still the gun charges federal and the drug charges generally are federal, uh, although there could be parallel state charges. You could give him immunity from all of the federal uh, charges. And but because the, the only thing people want to is to him on the hot seat under oath answering about the notes, which are there are multiple different places where he said multiple different transactions, 10% for the big guy. They want him under oath to um, to answer that question. That's that's if if, if he answers that question, 
you know, truthfully, I say let them off on the tax charges okay. and all the rest. Who cares? Hey, Dem, I'm going to come back at you. And I know I'm a, a relentless person because of my particular educational background. If I don't want to put this, let me let me come back to it because I'm losing my train of thought. But it has to do if Congress has subpoena power because of speech and debate. I'm going to rephrase the question and come back at you with it. Okay. Give me a moment. It looks like it came from a court case, by the way. That that the speech and debate clause authorizes Congress to grant immunity in uh, in these cases. So the judiciary okay. itself said we're backing off. We're, we don't have power to to overturn that. If Congress, it, what they're saying, I guess, is if Congress made you talk on this against your interest. But Congress your, can't make you then, talk. That's why that makes no sense. Congress can't. They have subpoena power. Subpoena power can't make you violate the Fifth Amendment. That's the whole point. So I just see one thing coming up against the other thing. Congress cannot make you talk. Proof being that they have to offer you immunity, but they don't have the power to give you immunity. That Congress has the power to subpoena. Yes. And if you defy the subpoena, they can put you in, they can hold you in contempt, Congress, and you can be prosecuted for that, as Steve Bannon is being prosecuted. You right? cannot, excuse me, can you not be prosecuted for asserting your Fifth Amendment right? I thought that is absolutely across the board. And so if and if the if the witness claims the Fifth Amendment, the 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 Congress has the power to immunity to make to make them testify. Still haven't seen where that comes from. It's a nice idea, but it, I, I don't understand where it comes from. Um, because nobody can force anybody to do anything in this country because of the Fifth Amendment. So that I don't know. That's just kind of weird. I think the interesting thing about the hunter part, the the hunter stuff that we're talking about is why. We all know that Joe Biden is going to pardon Hunter if he gets convicted of anything. So what's with this whole game, this whole dance? I mean, he's not going to go to jail, period. There's no there's no the only way he's going to go to jail is if Joe Biden dies before he can pardon his son. He's not going to leave office, whether it's in 2025 or 2029 or any time in between now and and then he's not going to leave office without pardoning his son. So what is what exactly is the game here? The and worry was that he could be convicted before Biden wins the second election and he won't dare pardon him before his second election. That's my understanding is the only worry. Why, why, why wouldn't he? He'll pardon him whenever he needs to pardon him. But he would presumably be vulnerable to doing time before he could be pardoned. That's my understanding. Well, I mean, apparently, you know, it it's generally it looks bad in an election year if you pardon your son after he gets convicted. So I think they want to push this out. They wanted to either solve it or push it out after the election. Um, because go ahead. We so do I think, you know, I mean, I, I do agree. I mean, he's not going to serve a day in jail. And that's why I don't care. Um, but since when know, I think they care at all about optics. If they cared about optics, they wouldn't have done the Mar-a-Lago raid the way they did. They, there's a lot of things that they don't, they don't care about optics. They care about power. And this, there's something else that's going on that I haven't quite figured out exactly what it is. But um, those of us who want to see 
Hunter, answer your question, Ed. They should be hoping for a pardon and they should be hoping for immunity and they should be hoping, you know, for a plea deal to go forward. Because then well, see, I disagree with you because they do care about optics. Because in the past, they wouldn't have done anything with Hunter. They would have just let him go. They would have just not prosecuted him all. They wouldn't have indicted him on anything. Um, and so Prosecute. the fact that they did indict him on these, you know, minor charges rather than the really major charges that we're concerned about. Um, the fact that they did indict him on these charges shows that they do care about optics. They want to say, oh, we're going to be tough on Hunter because of this. Right. But, there you know, are people in the press who just within the last week are talking more and more about the Hunter indictment. There's more people on the Democrat side saying, gee, some of this stuff is not really good what he did. Now, again, is that to get Biden from running, as many people think? That's an interesting question. I but think I think that plea deal was something concocted before they even indicted him. I think that was the whole purpose of the indictment in the first place, was to be able to try and get some kind of plea deal like that and and get him a pardon on the sly and i mean i guess i guess i'm contradicting myself a little that they would have preferred it be in a in a plea deal than in a pardon but i just don't think they really care and i mean honestly, well it's like the georgia um you know it's it's like the georgia charges were were placed on the um georgia website accidentally the prosecutor's website accidentally before they had ever been uh, voted on by the grand jury. So, it, I mean, you know, the, it doesn't I mean, take mm -hmm. two smart people to decide we can fix this in, right? But I do think they, you know, they would have just let Hunter go. They would just, would, the prosecutor discretion out with that bit. Just, but they do care about it. Make me sound like a bad Obvious. guy or something. I don't know. I, I'm as anti-Democrat and anti-Biden as, as you can find in this country. But if if Joe Biden were to pardon his son, I mean, it would be like the least bad thing that I thought he did. I mean, of course you're going to pardon your son. Anyone who's got a son knows you're going to pardon your son. I mean, that's just that's just part of being a dad. Well, I mean, by the way, he's going to. Well, I mean, I don't son. think that's. The, I, I I don't think that's true. I mean, FDR lost a son in the Second World War. He specifically sent him out. He, uh, uh, you know to um to fight joe kennedy lost his son in the second world war he was a power luster extraordinaire uh he sent him out to fight i think i think you don't pardon your son you, you don't pardon anyone that doesn't deserve it and uh i think the pardon you know the pardon authority should be reserved for people for for those times when Justice is not served and the person requires mercy. Okay. You know I'm I mean? going to agree. I'm going to agree with both of you. However, another reason he's going to pardon him is I don't put it past Hunter to rat him out if he doesn't. Hunter is not the most upstanding guy in the world. He has already said he resents some of the money taken from him. And if push really came to shove, they could have no guarantee that Hunter wouldn't rat out his own dad. So then there's only two choices, the Clintonization or pardoning him. So, Or they could have him share a cell with Trump. I, I know. I was going to go there also. And the same Secret Service people could be there. Yeah. That would be we save money. Um, can I talk about a serious story for a second? Um, 
a group of Native Americans threatening to boycott the Washington football team unless they change their name back to Redskins. You, you just, good for them. We talked about <laughs> love that at the time. We talked about how the 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 names that the you know the the Washington Redskins, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Atlanta Braves, Cleveland Indians, those names were made in reverence of of our Native American brethren it was not made in any sort of offensive or mocking way it was meant to you know you know brave you know the braves the cheat you know the you know the warrior you know like they're warriors they're fighters they're it it, it was all never- of the all of the army helicopters are named you know the kiowa the um apache uh, you know they're all named after those tribes because you know it is it is kind of funny because there was a 300-year war fought by the United States against the Indian tribes, and the Indian tribes lost, but they were Americans. The Indians were treated for some time as, as foreign nations and foreign peoples, and then they were brought in, and they're Americans. So Geronimo is an American here. Yes, the United States fought against the Indians, but... The Indians are Americans now, and their heroes are our heroes. And it's the same with the Confederacy, too. The Confederacy fought against the United States, but they're all Americans now, and their heroes are our heroes. And well, then we wouldn't a be lot taking of the, down their statues. A, a lot of the taking down the statues and the renaming of the streets and all of that thing is, is sort of in this in the same vibe of, of, again, trying to divide us. Um, I, I don't, you know. I, Have they I think gone it, after I, the helicopter names? No. Why not? No, because it's waiting just to the, get to it. Um, I, I think they don't like Redskin as a, a as a pejorative, but I, 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 you know, I don't think it was ever a pejorative. Um, I, I do think, you know, they, they went against the Cleveland Indians, right? They're not called the Cleveland Indians anymore. I, 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 I don't know why. I, I don't, I mean, I've met Indians. I worked for an Indian once, uh, American Indian, and he called himself an American Indian. You know, I mean, he might have said Native American ironically, but I mean, he called himself an American Indian. I worked for him for many years. And I, wor- well, I worked for him for four years. I worked with him for 20 years. And he, he was a proud Indian, um, but, it, you know, I, it just doesn't, it's like they never, it's, it's these upper middle class do-gooders sitting in their comfortable suburbs complaining about things uh, on behalf of other people who, don't, who have way worse problems than uh, the name of the Washington football team. Right. So I guess the, um, only important, the only importance of the story is it puts the lie squarely in their face, not that they care. But they do not care a whit about actual Indians. No, no. I mean, the, notice that they're bothered yeah. by redskins, but not by pigskins. Yes, pigskins, right? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've been, you Ed, know, I've Ed, been on a Ed, bunch Ed, of red. Ed P. Ed Maslish. Yes. We used to say in a total other setting, please don't make jokes like that because tomorrow it will become law. So <laughs> if they ever outlaw pigskin, I'm blaming you. Okay. Pigs are people too, you know. And my dad, uh, my dad was very into um, 
you know, American Indians, American Indian culture. He he took us, uh, we I've been to many different um reservations and uh, seen the presentations, the culture, the history of um, some American Indian tribes, the Navajo, the Apache, the Pueblo Indians, uh, some of the ones in Southern California. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't think half these people who are complaining about the, uh, you know, the Redskins as a team name have done, you know, a tenth as much trying to connect with real American Indians as I have. And I haven't done a whole lot. I mean, I, I, you know, I've spent a couple of weeks on reservations in my life. You, you know what I mean? That, that's it, right? I've, I, and I, you know, I worked for an Indian for, for many years and worked with them for many years. But I, you know, it's like, I think I have more understanding uh, as an upper middle-class white guy, old white guy of, the Indians as as any of these clowns who, uh, you know, protest right. against. So the I, I don't want to speak for Laser because he's not here, but he worked on a reservation for a long time when he had the job in South Dakota, and mm -hmm. there's a lot yeah, of reservations there too. He he basically did most of the work on the reservation there, and there's a lot more you could do for Indians than change football teams' names. Yeah, <laughs> like lower the blood alcohol level from six, seven, eight hundred, which is ridiculous. To like some kind of normal thing, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's just funny because this kind of thing shows they really couldn't care less. Not that it'll matter because, again, nobody cares about their hypocrisy. I just think it's a cute story that somebody's saying, wait a minute, we would love to have a football team named after us. So, yeah. And, you know, maybe Redskins isn't the best, uh, you know, maybe it is offensive to some Indian. I've never met one, but, you know, but okay. So let's, Let's say okay. Let why not the um, you know why not the the uh, warriors or the or the uh, the um, you know uh, Powhatan the Powhatan warriors or something like that. Something to honor the. Well, how about if the WWE had a team called the Squaws? Yeah, the Squaws. <laughs> I'm about to get canceled big time. Yeah, me. I mean, we're going to get banned from YouTube. In That's going to uh, be. Oh, sorry. Bad. We already got banned from YouTube. Right. A couple um, other stories I want to mention real quickly, and then you guys can mention stories real quickly. Um, the, the obvious, again, double standard. Who cares if Bush would have said no comment to Hawaii burning down? <laughs> I mean, they would have said Bush move the fires and or set the fires in Hawaii. But Biden can just brush it aside, no comment, and you know, we, we don't get the whole thing about how much he doesn't care. And the other interesting story I just want to mention is the story, Oregon and Utah are both mandating GPS trackers to tax by the mile electric vehicles. And people have been warning this is coming. And it's, you know, there are other states trying to do it even to gas vehicles. And it's just going to be more and more, not only taxes, but more and more of your information submitted to and controlled by, even if it isn't already. It's just down the slippery slope more and more that yesterday's joke is today's law, as I said before. I was annoyed at my insurance company a couple of years ago and, and because they kept raising the rates. I'm like, the car value is going down and down and your rates are going up and up. So how does this work? So they said, well, we've got one more rate for you. One more thing we can do. We can install a gadget on your car that monitors your driving and not just your, you know, your driving, but you know, how hard you brake uh how 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 hard you you know accelerate 
how how do you take corners, um, you know, whether there are any incidents where you slam on the brakes, like you're going to stop, do all of this, we're going to monitor this. And then if you do that, we'll give you a discount. And at the end of a certain amount of time, I forget what, six months, I guess, um, then we will re-rate you based on your driving. Now, I'm a relatively careful driver, but I'm a dude, you know, so I occasionally brake harder or, or accelerate fast. And I'm like, no, you're not putting this in my car. I don't care. Um, and but, you know, Ed, that's um, when you talk to the voluntarists, and I think, you know, our fearless leader, Alu Axelman, has written books talking about this. That is how the private market would take care of safety. And I can't be against that because it's totally voluntary. I would like to save thousands of dollars of my insurance, and therefore I will give you the information. And it's not government. So I don't have a problem as long as it's voluntary. This isn't voluntary, and it's just... Again, very, very scary. I'm sure the information will be protected very, very strongly. Yeah, because cybersecurity is really the government's strong point. Um, well, I, I don't know. I don't know why people don't get that. If you fund the roads through a gas tax, and people are, you know, a lot of people are switching to. You wouldn't believe the number of Teslas around here are switching to electricity to power their cars. Why the government? Um, wouldn't want to, to tax those people on the miles driven. Uh, every year we have to take our cars in to get them inspected for state inspection. They could take the mileage then. They don't have to install anything in the car. They could have, you know, we have to do the emissions inspection and we have to do the, the safety inspection every year. You could just take it in and this is the number of miles you've driven and we'll tax you on that amount. I, I don't like that. I don't like any taxes, but you're going to pay for roads and you're going to do it based on miles driven. That's an easy way of doing it. I just know on taxes, when you lease a car, they do know your mileage. Yeah. So one way or the other, they'll take our money, but they really want the GPS on the gas cars as well. Because sadly, it's just another form of... Uh, information being passed on to them and another way to control people so as far as the the fires in hawaii which is what got you started down this road road any, little pun there thank you ed yes anytime i hear uh wildfires and climate change i automatically think arson just my thought on it yeah i mean i've had uh i'm a member of different you know Chat groups, not on Facebook anymore because Facebook uh, started um, censoring us. And in one of these groups, there are a lot of people bringing up what I would consider conspiracy theories, you know, like energy, directed energy weapons, and the government did it, and Bill Gates wants to buy the property, and, or Oprah's bought property in Maui, and maybe she wants to buy it again. Um, you know, there were reports that the, uh, that the fire hydrants ran dry, so the firefighters couldn't do it. Uh, and then there are, there are reports which I think have been relatively confirmed. I think they're fairly accurate that the police are being very heavy-handed in allowing people to, um, you know, go back into the area or go back to their homes or whatever. So there's a lot of conspiracy theories. Um, from what I can tell, there was a typhoon. There had been extensive winds, uh, 40 to 60 to 80 mile an hour winds for a long period of time. A fire uh, started in the hills. I have a feeling, I don't have any data. I have a feeling it was started by down power lines because I've, you know, I've seen down power lines myself in high winds. I've 
I, you know, I came this close to having the car hit by a down power line once in a high wind. And I know that happened. And I know that the power lines go higher up in the cities just because that's the way Maui and these islands are. And so if it was a down power line and start a fire and then you get um, the high winds coming from the typhoon blowing it down, you get what uh, is called a firestorm. And a firestorm is, you know, basically, a, a you know, there are things like fire natos, but this would be a fire hurricane. Um, and it just consumed the entire town. Can we clarify something, um, Ed, for anybody ever watching our show, that despite your having recently been in Hawaii, no one in Liberty Block has any culpability whatsoever for this recent uh, tragedy. I just want to put that out. I mean, I've been... I've been to Lahaina. It's a nice little town, or was. Um, the resorts tend to be a little bit further up the coast, but um, you know, it's a nice old little town. And I think that there's, you know, nothing gonna stop it from being rebuilt except the government stupidity. I, I don't know the insurance situation, but generally people do have fire insurance, if not flood insurance. So I think that it's a uh, you know, I it's it's an insurable event. Uh, I, you know, it, it's like what caused it. I, you know, it's caused, it's a natural disaster. I, I, I don't know what else Some to say. Some people are saying people look, they allow so much brush there and that it's not just environmental, it's poor management. Yeah, but I mean, if you look, if you look at, I don't know, if you look at those islands, they, there's, they, they're very wet. I, you know, it's been a dry season, I guess, on, on that section of Maui, but I don't think there is any forest management as we would understand it in Hawaii. Um, it, it just it is just what it is. It was a bizarre circumstance of events. Apparently, there's close to a thousand people missing, so it, the death toll could be, you know, yeah. second only to Katrina, where I think two thousand people were were killed in Katrina. I, I just don't think I don't think there's any conspiracies here. I think it's just you know, occasionally nature does something unexpected. A firestorm is a well-known phenomenon. It's in the books. I've read about it before. Um, it just happened to hap happen time and got a lot of people killed and it's very sad. But the people trying to claim it's climate change are just as nonsensical as the people trying to claim it's uh, directed energy weapons from NASA or whatever. Oh, I haven't Jewish, Jewish space lasers, I think. No, nobody said Jewish space oh, lasers. MTG. But I always like yeah. Jewish space lasers. Yes, that's my that's my favorite is Jewish space lasers. Okay. Do they have like yarmulkes on them or something, the lasers? I, I don't know where that. I mean, how do they know they're Jewish? That I don't know where that came from. But you remember the, um, you know, the the movie from the the Mel Brooks movie. What it was the Spaceballs? Remember the Jews? Jew, oh, look, oh, Google Jew, Jews in space Spaceballs on YouTube. It's a very funny scene. Uh, very funny. I think you two would appreciate it. If you like Mel Brooks, he has a very very strange sense of humor, but very silly. Is it still legal to listen to him? Yes, I don't know. I haven't talked to, to Jonathan Greenblatt about Mel Brooks yet, but uh, I'll put that on my agenda. Okay, stories we didn't cover real quick, and then we wrap up. Going once, going twice. Oh, no, I have a story. Um, so I think I put this in the chat. Um, uh, Soviet uh, well, Oppenheimer movie, very popular, about the guy who ran the Manhattan, not the random Manhattan Project, but ran the Los Alamos Park. Um, and there was a Soviet document that referred to him as an agent. Um, 
uh, Oppenheimer as a Soviet uh, agent. And this document was out in the open. It came from the dissolution of the Soviet Union when a lot of their archives came out. I don't believe it was from the, one of the Venona decrypts. I think it was, uh, I think the source, the source was said to be the Soviet Union uh, archives, and it referred to Oppenheimer as a Soviet agent. And it talked about what, uh, a slightly in very coded language, what material he provided to the Soviets. So the, the Christopher Nolan film, which I've not still seen, but I will hope, hope we'll see you soon, uh, does um, have as a sort of a backbone of the film, the, uh, the accusations against Oppenheimer that he was a communist and that he was a Soviet agent and a risk. And so his security clearance should be taken away. And I think the answer to both of those things is that yes, he was, he, he certainly had a lot of wives and mistresses and friends and colleagues who are communists and some who are spies. And, and uh, he wrote, uh, he, he, he wrote for communist newspapers and he did all sorts of communist things. And now it looks like he was an agent for a communist state. So uh, yeah, his security clearance should have been taken away and um, he probably should never have been appointed to that position in the first place. Uh, had they, had they um, well, again, the government was thoroughly penetrated at the time, but if they were thinking of the Soviet Union, not as a friend, but as an ally, um, not as a friend and ally, but as a potential adversary. They should never have put Oppenheimer in charge. So that was the big thing this week. Somebody dug that out of the archives. Mm -hmm. And then I don't have a story this week. It's summer. It's supposed to be quiet, right? I guess. Yeah, they say it's slow news. Of course, nothing. The dog happened. days of of August. This is what we're in, the dog days of August. I gotta tell you something. Knock on wood, New York City has had an incredibly mild summer. I think we've had four days over 90 and they're yelling it's the hottest summer in history. So the heat must be elsewhere. New York has gotten off easy. I know Israel the other day, they were talking about a potential Celsius of 50, which is- That's hot. Really hot, yep. <laughs> on the other hand, it may be raining there at some point in the summer, which is pretty weird. But I'm lucky New York has not been bad at all this summer. So now that we've fulfilled our Biden um, mandate of talking about the weather whenever we get together, I guess we can sign off. Um, we can invite everyone back next week. There may or may not be a special show right after the debate. We will let everyone know. Otherwise, we will be back next week, regular time, 5.45 p.m. Please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. And have a wonderful evening.